All right, back on the Young Turks. I've got a couple of great guests for you guys, and then a hilarious post game where we talk about Glenn Beck's insane conspiracy theory about the whistleblower, the accountant. Okay, my next guest, not this one, but the next one is a guy that is so who was a Democratic Socialist before anyone realized Democratic Socialists existed. His nickname was Tommy the Commie. So fascinating guy. He's running against two speakers of the House. So that's up next, but right now, joining us is senior investigative reporter Ken Klippenstein, otherwise known as Kenny Clips. So Ken, welcome back to the show. Great to be on. All right, you broke a story called the military's monitoring interfaith groups opposed to child separation leak doc reveals. So first of all, what's the document you got your hands on now? So a brave individual within the Pentagon um, provided me with a document that showed that um, the military pursuant to President Trump's um, border uh, deployment of the military, remember he declared a national emergency over undocumented immigration. Um, surprise, surprise, the military is collecting um, intelligence, not just on the migrants, but the documents show also uh, to various religious groups that uh, wanted to peacefully demonstrate against things like ICE facilities. And uh, one term that pops up in the documents was anti-border wall extremists, which I thought was a pretty funny term. I didn't know that there was a spectrum of people who are against the border wall. And that they're like moderate anti-border wall people. They'd like some wall, but not all wall. And apparently there's the anti-border wall extremists. What is their position? No wall, is that what makes them extreme? What makes them extreme? Well, some of the groups that are referenced in the documents, and I embed those in the story, I would encourage readers to look at them. Describe, you know, I mentioned the interfaith group. I think the plurality, there were a bunch of different religions represented, including Lutherans, lots of Jewish folks. I think that was the most common group there, and various other Christian denominations. And as far as I could tell, you know, this group seemed like not the scariest bunch. It's like, seemed like a lot of, you know, there were. Uh, parents, there were younger people. There were, and they just wanted to, you know, nonviolently um, express their opposition to uh, President Trump's immigration policies, uh, and also to a military base that was um, being used to detain uh, migrants that were being de- deported. Okay, let me see if I understand this right. Let's take the two religious groups you mentioned one by one. So, Jewish groups uh, that have gotten together and saying, "Hey, we remember when." Um, Previous generations of Jews tried to come to this country to escape the Holocaust uh, were denied entry. So we want to help immigrants because we understand their pain. Never again. So we're actually going to stick up for other people, and that's why we're against this wall. That our government finds those people dangerous. Yeah, and what's amazing about it is if you look at the documents, I have what's called. Um, they have some kind of reports for, it's called a threat assessment. And so they list different threats. And next to this interfaith group were things like um, drug cartels and- um, Jesus Christ. Yeah, and, and, and trafficking operations and things like that. So it's crazy that they're you know equating these uh, different groups. But um, this is what the civil liberties experts were warning us would happen uh, when the military starts operating domestically like this. So I don't think anybody who watches this show is confused about my views on religion. I'm 100% against fundamentalist religion. But I also often talk about how some religious folks are the greatest people on the planet. So in this case, the Jewish groups and also the Christian groups. So the Christian groups say, 
I'm gonna do what Jesus instructed me to do. I'm gonna take care of my fellow man, and I'm gonna stand up for them. Now, Ken, is the government, I mean, this is a funny thing to ask, but you've got sources inside these things. There's a reason why they're presumably leaking to you, because they're bothered by this, right? But like, I wonder if inside the FBI and inside these different governmental organizations, do they have any idea of how biased they are? Because if you said to them, hey, let's infiltrate a Christian right church, because we think right wing ideology is dangerous, so let's just monitor them and see what happens. My guess is heads would explode. They'd be like, what, you're infiltrating a church, a beloved church. But you wanna infiltrate a Christian group or a church if they're left wing, Oh, great, yeah, of course, they're a danger. I mean, they wanna help other people. Are they even aware of this, that monstrous bias that they have? Well, I should say that um, in the stuff I've covered, there's perhaps the most dissension with respect to um, the immigration policy, not just because the military itself is extremely diverse, but also because many people themselves have, you know, family and, and, and friends that come from migrant backgrounds. Um, without commenting on, you know, my source in particular, because uh, I know a bunch of different folks uh, at the Pentagon. Um, overwhelmingly, people seem to regard this mission as idiotic. Uh, that's a term I, <laughs> that's a word that I specifically heard used repeatedly by different individuals, including conservatives. So I would say that um, this policy in particular um, is, is, is unlike many of the others. Now, what you're saying is true. There is a sort of bubble within the intelligence community where they become so accustomed to working in secret and in secrecy that uh, even if they might come into it, you know, sort of skeptical, um, by the time you know you've been doing this for 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 some while, um, you kind of accept some of the presuppositions of of what it is you're doing. But I would say that um, people aren't feeling great about about the border mission generally. Um, right. All that being said, so now I don't want people to get confused. I mentioned a number of different governmental groups, and we have broken stories from those groups uh, as well. In this particular case, it's about the United States military. And so the document that Ken got is a commander's update briefing from August 1st, 2019. So in that briefing, Ken, they also mentioned non-religious groups. Who were they? They mentioned what they describe as anarchists, which you know that can be variously termed. I think that can be inclusive of Antifa. They also describe protesters going to um, the border wall who they think might pose a threat of um, violence. And if you look at the d definition of violence, this is different than the you know um, peaceful religious groups. They may try to, um, according to the DOD, you know, dismantle parts of the wall or do things like that. But there was never any um, inkling that they might um, pursue violence against you know people, humans, individuals. Um, so I would say that um, and what's interesting too is that there are questions posed within this um, uh, threat assessment. Um, and the questions were, what is the threat from anarchists? What is the threat from anti-border wall extremists? What is the threat from protesters? And when you pose it like that, it looks like um, the Pentagon is being tasked with um, producing threats. I mean, you're expected to come up with answers to these sort of intelligence questions. And um, you know, if that's the question, I imagine that's going to affect how they perceive things. Yeah, there are no such things as anti-border wall extremists. Uh, there are no faith groups that are even a low level threat, they are no threat. But when you have a hammer, everything looks like nails. So that brings us to Mike Pence. So he has said, and you've got it at the end of your piece, that quote, it's inconceivable that there are not people of Middle Eastern descent 
trying to sneak into our country, presumably through caravans, etc. So uh, is the military being used for wild goose chases of trying to find Middle Easterners crossing the border uh, from Mexico? Well, this is one of the most sort of darkly comic aspects of the documents, I thought, was that um, it showed that the military is actually conducting assessments of um, the migrant, uh, you remember the, um, uh, the uh, migrant caravan, so-called. They were looking at the caravan and trying to tell using uh, whatever intelligence methods they did, it's not entirely uh, clear from, from the documents, to see if they had been penetrated by foreign intelligence services, <laughs> including counterterror groups. So, um, you know, we all hear someone like Pence say something like that or Trump and we, you know, we laugh it off. But I should say that um, segments of the military and of the intelligence community, um, whether or not they believe it, they are, have been tasked with carrying these things out and taking them and taking them seriously in, in, in some respects. So I think it would be, you know, um, wise to sort of take leadership at their word and not necessarily, you know, just because they're maybe sound silly um, right off that that may have some concrete, um, you know, policy policy impact. So let me get this right. Uh, the Russians interfering in our elections and possibly having connections to the president, not a concern. But uh, Middle Easterners infiltrating Honduran refugees, giant concern. Yes. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, look, I mean, it's so outrageous that we laugh at it, but we're wasting, not only are we wasting taxpayer dollars on this nonsense, but now we're infiltrating the groups that are perfectly peaceful and based on, on on political ideology. So look, I don't think, maybe I shouldn't conclude that. I was gonna say, I don't think it's as bad as the J. Edgar Hoover days, but it certainly reminds you of those days when they would do this on a, on a regular basis. So I mean, are, are we headed back? Does it look like at least in this administration, we're headed back in that direction? Well, I quote in the story, um, a legal expert, because uh, you know national security, intelligence, these are all very complicated matters that so you have to understand very complicated sorts of case law to be able to tease out um, and, and, and comment on knowledgeably. But um, you know what this individual with the project on government oversight told me uh, was uh, he himself compared it to J. Edgar Hoover, um, at least in the sense uh, that you know nonviolent groups are being monitored, and in this case, not even by the FBI, which is obviously Hoover, but by the military. And there are supposed to be all sorts of rules against the military operating on domestic soil because it's understood that that has a um, uh, you know a, a, a negative effect on democracy. And by the way, is also illegal. Uh, but I guess we just don't have laws in this country anymore. So okay, <laughs> and it's a, remarkable. I mean. People can't pay attention to this stuff nearly as much as they should. This would be a giant scandal in any other administration. The problem is they break so many laws with such great frequency that it's hard to keep up. But Ken tries anyway. So everybody check out tyt.com slash investigates. This particular story we'll have in the, as a link down below in the description box if you're watching later on YouTube or Facebook. But you can go to tyt.com any day to check out all the stories from our great investigative reporting team. Ken Kilpenstein, thank you for joining us, we appreciate it. Great to talk to you, Jenkin. All right, uh, when we come back, uh, hopefully we're gonna have Tommy the Commie for you guys in a positive way. All right, back on TYT, a uh, little bit of breaking news that I'm ecstatic about. We'll talk about it more in the post game. Um, finally, someone's investigating Alan Weisselberg. He's the chief financial officer of the Trump Organization. Uh, he 
if Donald Trump had done criminality throughout his career, he's the one guy who would certainly know because he kept the books. And I, as a lot of you know on the show, I've been saying, why, why won't anybody look into him? So it turns out the Manhattan District Attorney's Office is. We'll give you details about that in the post game, tyt.com slash join to become a member and get that post game. All right, joining me now is Tom Gallagher. He has run against two speakers of the house. He was so progressive back in the day, he was affectionately known as Tommy the commie. And he's currently running against Nancy Pelosi. Tom, welcome to the Young Turks. Thank you very much, pleasure to be here. All right, great to have you. So, well, we got an interesting, interesting dynamic here because you've got a couple of progressives running against Pelosi. I want to talk about that in a second. But your career is fascinating. You ran against Tip O'Neill back in 1986. No, 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 no. I ran in the race to succeed Tip O'Neill. Oh, I see. Okay. All right. God, so close. So close. <laughs> and so. I'm in the habit of living in speakers' districts. That's true. Yeah, that is curious. Um, <laughs> so you were endorsed back then by the Boston Democratic Socialists of America. Uh, fascinating. I'm not sure that I knew the Democratic Socialists uh, were around back then. Oh, I joined the organization when it was known as the Democratic Socialist Organizing Committee. Uh, before DSA, when it merged, before it merged with the New American Movement. So yeah. It goes wow. back a ways. So you're old school. So you just happen to be living in that district, and now you happen to be living in Nancy Pelosi's district. Yes, I didn't plan it that way. Yes, okay, got you. And um, so there's no doubt about your progressive credentials. I mean, you've written books like The Primary Route, How the 99% Take on the Military Industrial Complex. Uh, as I said back, uh, you were first uh, elected to public office in 1980. and. Was, is it true that you were affectionately noticed, known as Tommy the commie? Basically it was, yeah, the house wit dropped it in his annual Christmas season poem and it brought down the house. Okay, sounds good. And so how long did you serve in Massachusetts? Six years. Okay, and what did you do after that? Oh, all manner of things. I uh, uh, ran a progressive uh, school, um, did a lot of newspapers. For, I've been in the um, San Francisco schools for the last 20 years, actually, um, among other things. I'm, uh, I've been a substitute. Um, as I like to say, from K to 12, physics to phys ed, I've been in more classrooms than any administrator, any other teacher. So uh, I kind of know the system. All right, sounds good. And uh, and obviously you believe in primaries. You wrote a whole book about it. Uh, I so did. No, the argument was before. Now it seems obvious, right? But my argument was that there would never be an electoral uh, movement of the left in this country unless we had candidates in the presidential primaries. And people need to remember that at that point, Bernie Sanders was the longest-serving independent. No one believed he would ever run as a Democrat, and it's a new world because he did. Yeah, so I'm one of the co-founders of Just Democrats, and that was our thesis. Third party is too difficult, but winning in primaries is entirely doable, and you could capture the party from within. You know, why not make a case for progressives winning elections? I mean, Tom, in a sense, isn't it amazing that that was a revolutionary idea, like to give the voters a real chance at? deciding who should represent the Democratic Party. I mean, doesn't that show you almost by definition how corrupt the Democratic Party became, that they found it 
unacceptable to even consider that voters in their primaries would even have an option. Well, this is true. And I also got to say that we have people on the left who have this almost metaphysical view of the Democratic Party, that you're corrupted simply if you touch it. And in a lot of respects, there's no there there to the Democratic Party. It is not a disciplined party, for better or worse, the way that European parties are. You can believe anything and be in it. Uh, and obviously, you're not going to try the Republican Party. Uh, the Democratic Party is where our people are. We should have done this long ago. Yeah, agreed. So, Tom, uh, in this particular case, though, you've got a couple of uh, progressives in this race, including Shahid Buttar, who I've also interviewed. So, uh, you, it's in California, you have a jungle primary. So, it's possible that you guys split up the vote and a Republican goes up against Nancy Pelosi in the runoff as opposed to one of you uh, in, in the runoff where you might have a shot at it. So that's a common thing that I'm sure that you've heard. What's your response to that? Well, um, in, in fact, I, I published an article in April calling for a quote unquote progressive primary. My idea being that the, uh, the San Francisco left ought to find a way to unite behind a single candidate. Um, meaning that um, if that way were found and the candidate were someone other than I, I would be willing to drop out. And I believe that all candidates should do that. There's been some slight progress towards that lately. Uh, if it's going to de uh, definitely happen, I don't know. But um, as you may know, Shahid is the one who entered the race in the last week last time uh, and made it three Democrats uh, running to divide the uh, the vote, and the Republican made it with only nine percent, um, and two hundred and twenty five thousand dollars was spent fruitlessly. So uh, I very much want to avoid that this time around. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know that it is a real problem. Uh, I interviewed uh, two candidates running against Steny Hoyer, who are both progressive, both great women uh, who are uh, real, no question about it, progressive Democrats. And the problem is that if you know both of them being in the race makes it near impossible to topple Steny Hoyer, and I don't know how to solve that. Uh, and and I've thought about primaries within Justice Democrats of progressives, primaries that maybe we do on the Young Turks. Uh, but mm -hmm. being able to you know to actually legitimately count any vote in that sense is so overwhelmingly difficult. So given how difficult it is and how for the moment being unattainable it is. Tom, what do you think is the right thing to do at the end? Like, How do you know if you're winning or Shahid is winning or someone else is winning among the progressives? And then do you take action at the end to make sure there's only one of you? Well, I'm committed to that certainly in principle. And I, again, I, I uh, would like to see everybody do that. There is something afoot now which uh, the organizer uh, told me he would describe not as a progressive primary, which was never meant as a literal thing, but as a progressive straw poll uh, where the three of us would appear, uh, you know, details still to be determined, but I'm still hopeful on that front. Um, the other thing that seemed obvious to me looking at last year's race, is that you ought not to spend all of that money uh, running against fellow progressives if you could help it, uh, but instead save it for the one who became the uh, challenger to Pelosi. There's never been a Democrat who achieved that yet uh, in our jungle primary, uh, and then spend that kind of money. Uh, so I have done this uh, on as little money as possible. Uh, whether that 
can play in the real world of spend every dollar you can raise, uh, we will see. Yeah, so uh, by the way, we're all assuming, because we're on the Young Turks here, that Nancy Pelosi's worth primarying, but uh, MSNBC, for example, would find that scandalous. And <laughs> so would most of the media. Uh, so why do you think she should be primary? Well, if we were just imagine uh, a candidate for Congress in San Francisco appearing and saying that she wasn't a big fan of Medicare for all, and she referred to the Green New Deal as the Green Dream or whatever they call it, uh, and she said she was for increased military spending, people would probably say you should look for another district to run it. Um, that's how out of touch she is with the real sentiment of, uh, of this district. So that is the reason. It's obviously, it's an uh, immense task to think about beating her. But uh, it starts with having people confront the fact that they are represented by somebody whose achievements they may find impressive, but who really doesn't agree with them on major, major issues. So Tom, I get her advantages. She obviously has an enormous money advantage. She's an incumbent, name recognition through the roof. Uh, and, and she has almost all the media unquestioningly on her side. So those are massive advantages. But I wonder about the sentiment on the ground because that district is really progressive. And so, and the fact that she held out on impeachment for so long, the fact that she's visibly publicly fighting against the squad who everybody knows is the progressive wing of the party. How much damage has that done to her? And is there some chance that a progressive could actually topple her in her own district, even with her giant advantages? Well, it would be the upset of the last half century in this city. There's no question about it. Um, what we can guarantee is that we can at least start to get people to confront the contradiction between people who represent them and what they really believe. That's bottom line. That we can do, and it's painstaking, as you say. All those advantages, huge money, media, etc., are not going to harp on that. And we have to find a way to pick at it, pick at it, pick at it. So Tom, the point you made, I really appreciate that you said if she was a new candidate, there's no way she would win in that district with the policies that she favors. But she has these advantages. So the last thing is about that. Am I seeing it wrong or does the media seem to be completely protecting her and totally oblivious to the fact that they're supposed to be watchdogs of government, but instead provide her most important protective shield? Um, and absolutely, they're not interested in looking at the issues because uh, to them, she is playing currently on a larger field. She's the main opposition to Donald Trump. And, and of course, the problem is simply being Donald, uh, opposition to Donald Trump is not adequate. Uh, what was going on before Donald Trump was not adequate to the crises of our time. Um, a, an endless war economy has got to stop. But no, they're, they're interested uh, in the impeachment question right now and not a lot else. All right. Everybody, the website is Tom Gallagher for Congress. I'm sorry, Tom Gallagher Congress2020.com. Tom Gallagher Congress2020.com. Uh, the links will be down below in the description box if you're watching later on YouTube or Facebook. 
Tom, uh, thank you for fighting the good fight uh, through all of these years and all of these districts. Thank you. All right. Uh, okay, we're out of time for this portion of the show. For the members, we got another half hour for you guys. And we're gonna talk about uh, one of the most insane conspiracy theories uh, that Glenn Beck has ever come up with. And that's a high bar, so you don't wanna miss that. TYT.com slash join, you support independent media and you get extra content like the uh, post game we're gonna do today. We'll be right back. <laughs>